why I would say that. I want to read you first a quote from Henry Nouwen. I don't know whether you all know Henry Nouwen, but um, he wrote a book on the prodigal son, which I think is better than anything ever written on the prodigal son. It was just... Here's what he says. Sitting in the presence of God for one hour each morning, day after day, week after week, month after month, in total confusion and with a myriad of distractions, radically changes my life. (laughs) I love that. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Do you want me to quantify how he does that? Well, I'm not sure I can do that, but I can tell you. Sitting in the presence of God, day after day, hour after hour, year after year, with all these distractions, with all this um, this confusion, and, and I'm not understanding it, it changes you. I mean, um, Paul, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 12, prayed for healing. What did he get? He got humility. Um, Peter is on the rooftop in Joppa, and he prays for food. What does he get? He gets a lesson on racism. My, the point is... What you're praying may not be the thing that is going to um, uh, is going to be addressed, but you're being addressed. You're being affected simply because of that interaction with you and God. Guys, the 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 purpose of I mean, the whole redemptive event is so that we can know God better. Prayer is one of the things that that makes that happen. One of the Puritans said this, and I'm I'm quoting again, but I love this. Prayer wanteth the soul to God. Prayer wanteth the soul to God. And in so doing, ladies and gentlemen, change takes place. Guys, not communicating is bad for any relationship. And a failure to communicate with God is bad for your relationship. When I'm in a relationship, the every piece of information, if I'm in a valued relationship, every piece of information that I can get becomes more and more important because of the relationship. You know, guys, um, I I, I read a story about a, a told by a pastor. That he was on his off day, he was working in his backyard and he was building steps in his backyard and he was using these big stones and the stones weighed between 100 and 200 pounds a piece and, and, you know, he just, everything he could do to, you know, pick up these stones and put them in place and dig the hole and get them, you know, where he wanted them. And in the midst of all that, his five year old daughter comes out and says, Daddy, I want to help you. And he says, Well, that's just precious, darling, but uh, I tell you what, why don't you just help Daddy and uh, you just sing while Daddy's working and that'll help Daddy a whole lot. And um, she said, no, 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 Daddy, I, I, I want to help. And so he said, oh. <laughs> so his job becomes so much more complicated because now she's got to get her hands on these heavy rocks. And so not only is he moving the rocks, but he's got to protect his daughter from getting hurt by, by one of these big old rocks landing on her or something like that. So, And, you know, don't, don't get a thumb smashed. or anything. So he's having to work harder to let her touch the rock while he's protecting her and moving the rocks. So at the end of the day, they go in for supper, and um, um, the, the the job is finished. Nobody gets hurt, and everybody's happy about that. And he says, my daughter couldn't have been happier about the help that she gave. At the end of the day, he said, 
I had steps. I had stone steps in my backyard. But I also had a daughter who was bursting with joy of being able to help daddy. We. The point is, guys, my entering into the redemptive purposes of God probably doesn't help a whole lot. But what does happen is, in the whole process, God is... I'm, I'm praying for healing and He's giving humility. He's doing, a, he's doing something as I sit in His presence. I couldn't agree more with now. And guys, there's changes that are being... That are, that are underway that may not be quantifiable for you. Now, having said that, let me add one other thing. Not only does it change me, I want to suggest to you that it changes things. Things get changed. And I want to show you that in a minute. But first of all, just a, a quote from an old Puritan preacher. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. You get that? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? When I pray, coincidences happen. Um, it seems, ladies and gentlemen, that consistently what you see is that God chooses a course of action in which human partners can contribute the most. He's constantly doing things that will catch us up into the great enterprise of what it is that he's up to. Let me show you one of those. I want you to go to the book of Revelation chapter 8. Now, guys, Revelation is a hard book to interpret. And we're going to give it our best shot. But this is good. All right. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Okay. At this very momentous occasion in history, we find it, it opens with heaven is silent. We got seven angels that are, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were, we got seven angels with seven trumpets in their hand and they're all waiting around in silence for about a half an hour. It's silence in heaven as if all of heaven is, is listening while standing on tiptoes. And then, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with. Now, here, here's the point. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. This angel shows up, and he's given this censer that's got incense, but mixed in there are the prayers of the saints, which are then, in turn, taken to the throne where God sits. Now, heaven at this moment is inactive. It's silent. Nothing's going on except what this angel's doing. And the, verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire and the, uh, from the altar <coughs> and threw it on the earth. <clears throat> and there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning and earthquake. Guys, what I'm saying to you, as a result of an action that included... The prayers of God's people, something unfolds in the course of history in mankind. And it's, it's very ugly, that is, peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, etc., etc. 
But when these fragrant, these fragrant prayers with this incense are hurled to heaven, uh, hurled to earth, something takes place. God recognizes and uses and, and, and involves collecting all of the laments and all of the requests and all of the moans of God's people. And in that, because of those, it affects actions that he takes. Now, now that may be a little, um, uh, ethereal for you to grasp, but it is, all I'm drawing your attention to is that in this unfolding of something that God's doing, something that's involved there, mentioned very specifically are the prayers of God's people. Now, um, let me try to illustrate it and then I'll, I'll quit, um, um, guys, do you know that the wall between East and West Germany fell in November of 1989? Did you, did, everybody knew that. And do you, do you remember the names Lech Walesa and the uh, uh, Solidarity Movement in Poland and all that business? Well, you know, Hungary was one of those Russian satellites. And um, uh, Hungary you, still is scarred. I mean, communism was cruel. And it, it left its mark on Budapest. Well, we were in Budapest, and one night we were asked out to supper with a man. Um, I told Susie this morning, I went back to look at all this, because I, when I was over there for three months, um, I kept a diary, a journal, and it was in my journal. And um, I read her some of it today. It, it still brings back the fondest of memories. But this was the Monday night. It was a week before we left. It was like April the 7th or 3rd or something like that, that we had supper with a man by the name of Mariosh. Mara. We went to a real nice place. Uh, uh, Bob Snyder paid and um, took us to this because he wanted us to meet this guy, Mariosh. And Mariosh was a um, Romanian. He was a brilliant man. He was a, um, he was a gypsy, but he was a, a world-class musician. He was a political scientist. He was a university professor. He was an ordained pastor. And he was a... It was something else that he was. It was just... But, but all that to say... That night, Mariosh tells us a story about the overthrow of communism in Romania. Now, guys, I, uh, the wall fell in, in, in November of '89. It was somewhere in that period. But the story had to do with a guy by the name of Laszlo Tokes. Did I recognize that name, Laszlo Tokes? Laszlo Tokes was a Hungarian. And, and if you know anything about the geography of Hungary, Romania sits right off to the east and south. Laszlo Tokes moved into an area uh, not too far from the Hungarian border, 50 miles or so, and he, and he started pastoring a church. He replaced a man that was, um, oh, um, a communist, wore a red star on his clerical gowns. And, uh, but Laszlo Tokes replaced this guy, and um, he began to talk about justice and the evils of communism. And the crowd went from 40... To 5,000. <laughs> you remember the name Ceausescu? Do you remember that name? I mean, he was the Romanian uh, um, uh, communist dictator. Um, and Ceausescu was in power. And this church goes from 40, in a matter of two years, goes from 40 to, uh, to 5,000. And Laszlo Tokes continues to oppose injustice in all its forms. Well, the communists, of course, hear of this and try to arrest him. They try to arrest Laszlo Tokes. And the people demonstrated, hearing that 
and, and gathered around the church so that the, 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 um, the soldiers couldn't get Laszlo Tokes. So they disbanded. I mean, the, the soldiers went back home and they thought a great victory. Well, early one morning, I don't know what dialed, two or three o'clock, they show up again, they raid Laszlo Tokes' home and arrest him, put him in jail. And, um, <laughs> unbelievable. They, they put Laszlo Tokes in. So the people demonstrate. They gather in the streets and they begin to walk from the church to the jail. And as they walk from the church to the jail, the, the crowd swells. The estimate was that there were over 200,000 people who had gathered in this demonstration um, to, to try and free Laszlo Tokes. He was in a jail in this, uh, it wasn't Bucharest, but the, the, the riots ultimately moved into Bucharest and, um, and Ceausescu was assassinated, which this Mario, she's telling, and he grieved over what had happened to, um, um, to Ceausescu because he didn't want to see something like that happen. But anyway, so Tokes is in jail, 200,000 people, and the, the, the army is called out. They try to disband them, they're not gonna, they're not gonna disband them, and they open fire. And there's over a hundred people that are killed. And instead of them running, a pastor stands up and says, Let us pray. And 200,000 people or thereabouts drop to their knees and repeated in unison the Lord's Prayer. In a matter of 72 hours, communism had fallen, Ceausescu was on the run, and Laszlo Tokes was out of jail. (laughs) Prayer changes things. There was one other story I'm going to tell you, and I'm done. Guys, um, you know, I'm a... I'm a Memphis boy. I uh, went to high school here, raised in the South, and the the uh, left here, you know, went off to college and was a frat guy, and and um, you know, basically, you know, uh, just ignorant. <laughs> uh, so when I get to Budapest, Hungary, and I'm hearing all these things, first of all. I had never known. I mean, I, I couldn't have told you when the wall fell. Um, do you all remember that? When, seeing that thing? And uh, Oh, my goodness. But I could have... And this was in 90... Uh, no, this was t- 2003. And I couldn't have told you when the wall fell in Berlin. But, of course, it was going on in Poland. It was going on all over that section of Europe. Um, so, <laughs> we get to... We, you know, we're, we're just struggling to survive there in Budapest. And um, I have to drive to church every Sunday morning. I'm, I'm pastoring this little church. And we have a little car, which I showed you pictures of. We, we, we made fun of the car. It was basically a riding lawnmower that was air-conditioned. And um, But we went down this road, and I can't remember the blasted name of the road. But, the, uh, you know, it was just the main highway that went. Oh, we didn't live in Budapest. We lived in a little village called Diosht. And when I say village, it was a village. I mean, you walked into the little, from our house, we lived in a very nice little house. They had a nice little house for us. 
But we could, we walked from our house into the village, and there was the grocery store down there. <coughs> and, you know, it was just a village. And so we, we had to drive from Dios to where the church was, was in Budapest. And we, we drove this road, and we, we kept noticing this thing off to the left. Really didn't know what it was, and then Susie would look in the little tour books and, and finally found out what it was. And so towards the end of our 12 weeks or 13 weeks, whatever it was there, we decided... We're going to go to the, it's a little park. It's a little park off to the road, off to the side of the road. Um, off the side of the main road. And it, it couldn't have been over two acres. An acre, two acres, it was small. And so and, and we, as we were driving past there, we would see tour buses up in this little thing. And we saw all these things there and didn't know what it was. So finally we say, well, you know, before we get to go, we got to stop in and see what that is. Went in there, and it was a... What they had done is, while communism ruled in Hungary, they built all these statues. Statues of Lenin, and statues of Marx, and statues of this, and <coughs> the sickle, and the worker, and the, and the this, and the that, and the red star, and the, all these statues all over Budapest. And when the wall fell, nobody wanted those silly things. And they were going to throw them away. And somebody said, wait a minute. You know, we might make a tourist buck out of this every now and then. Let's just stick them out there. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what you had is an acre or two of monuments and statues and things, metal things. And all they were was the leftovers of a regime that had been brought to its knees. By a group of Christians who prayed. You know, um, when Stalin was in the charge of, um, was, you know, whatever he is, a dictator, whatever, um, Stalin was once, I, I forget the conversation, but he said something, it was said to him about the Pope. Uh, the Pope, he needed to consider the Pope. And Stalin's reply, which is rather famous, Stalin's reply was this. Well, how many divisions does he have? And yet, communism is a memory, at least in that part of the, part of the country. Because God raised up this this movement of people who took him seriously and who prayed for the overthrow of communism. And it happened. Does prayer change God? No. No. Does prayer change things? Does prayer change me? Yeah. Sitting in the presence day after day, hour after hour, week after week, month after month, it changes me. But not only that, ladies and gentlemen, I want to suggest that what you find in Revelation 8 is a, is a statement about how God, in whatever ways He works it all out, 
mixes the prayers of his people and uses them in a, in the unfolding of his redemptive plan in the history of mankind. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, prayer changes me and prayer changes things. Just go ask Mariosh um, what prayer did in the country of Romania. Give it some thought, guys. Um, I don't have answers for all of your all of the mystery, but I can tell you those little things. Doesn't change God, but it changes us and it changes things. Let's quit. Our Father, I, I pray that you'll forgive us that we are um, we are so prayerless. We've for every one of us who says, "Speak, Lord," for your servant listens. There's 25 of us who are ready to say, "Listen, Lord," because your servant is speaking. Forgive us, O oh God. Might we, um, might we find ourselves mysteriously and strangely changed as you, um, as you have your way in us, facilitated by this communication that takes place in prayer. Would you stir your people, O oh God? Um, not forgetting that for whatever your reasons are, you seem to choose a course of action where you can involve the most amount of human partners in the unfolding of your redemptive purposes. Might we not forget that, O oh God, as we seek to end our day tonight and open it tomorrow. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.